Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Joshua chapter 5. We're talking about the incredible journey. And we are picturing this in the book of Joshua. We're talking about the Christian journey. We're talking about possessing, no, not just possessing, experiencing what we already have. Matter of fact, we started that way in chapter 1, 1 through 5. And then we saw facing life and God's strength as we saw be strong, be courageous. We saw the secret of that as being meditating upon the Word of God in chapter 1, 6 through 9. We saw walking on the water of God's Word as they stepped out into the Jordan River and it backed up 17 miles to the city of Adam in chapter 3. And then we saw letting God be your legacy last time in chapter 4. Letting God be your legacy, not, not anything else, but just God be your legacy. Then today, we're going to talk about living as a victor and not a victim. Living as a victor. All the things that are involved in this incredible journey, one of the most powerful parts of it is living as a victor, not as a victim. Let me get you into this by sharing a passage out of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. The Apostle Paul, who had quite a past, by the way, and God delivered him from that and changed him and made him the greatest preacher of grace in the New Testament. He said in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let's just let's break that down. Forgetting what's behind and reaching forward, they are participles. The main verb is what, what he's talking about when he says, I, this one thing I do is pressing on. In other words, it's like a, a runner in a race, and Paul uses those analogies many times in his epistles. Running a race, I press on. He says, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But there are two things that are involved in that pressing on. One, he says, forgetting what lies behind me. Forgetting what lies behind me. How in the world do you do that? How do you forget what, what lies behind you? Well, it's the second thing that's involved, by reaching forward to what lies ahead. All that Christ has for us, everything he's given to us, and we're, as a congregation, we're pretty much aware of that because that's what we preach all the time, is that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every bit of it is waiting on us to experience it. But we're going to have to intentionally, and I'm saying that very carefully, intentionally reach forward. How do you reach forward, Wayne? Through surrendered lives yielded to him. You want to reach forward, then bow down. The way this way is down. The way we reach forward is by yielding afresh to him and to his word. So many believers today, and I've walked, I've run into them and many times have fallen into the same place. They're trying to, they're excited about what they have in Christ. And they're seeking to walk and to live a yielded life. In their heads, they comprehend it. It's all here. But they're constantly being defeated because they can't seem to forget their past. Somehow the past has crept back on them 
and they, it keeps them from moving on into what Christ says is already theirs. And the bottom line of what Paul shares in Philippians is they're not reaching forward. You know, you can't run forward looking back. You've got to forget, but how do you forget? You turn to Him, and as you turn to Him, you then reach forward by freshly yielding to Him. What happens to many is that their past becomes a huge fortress standing, unmoving in front of them, blocking their growth in Christ. And one of the most difficult hindrances to the believers of their past is the barrier of being a victim to a spiritually dysfunctional family. And I can say that cautiously, spiritually dysfunctional family. The stigma of growing up under the influence of a spiritually dysfunctional family with no true heart for God, it shames, it blames, it defeats the believer who continues to look at that. And I'll tell you what, the reason I say spiritually dysfunctional, because when something is spiritually dysfunctional, that causes multitude of effect. It can be physical, it can be external, it can be all the different things that we can wrap up and fill in that blank. The raging current of the Jordan of our flesh, taken from the context of Joshua, screams at us. When we're looking back and what has come our way and, and what we've had to experience or what we haven't had to experience or whatever it is, it screams at us and it says, there's no way out. You'll never get beyond this. You'll never get beyond what your past has brought to you. The raging current is strong. Well, it causes many to want to bail out on God, and they do, by bailing out on church and really bailing out on life in general. They just give up. They hear all the good things. I had a man tell me in a restaurant one day, I've heard about what you've said about what I have in Christ. I've heard about what you've said about the great joy of the Christian journey. That was four years ago. I still have my crummy job. I still have my crummy salary. You can have it. And got up from the table and walked away. And that's what happens. When you let the past dominate and identify who you are today. Like the honest phrase that comes in that hymn, Come Thou Fount. I love that hymn. When that, but that one phrase I love he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. Why? Why? Because of a past, a spiritually dysfunctional family or a past and how it plagues us in our Christian journey. Well, from our study of, of Joshua, it is, isn't it awesome to know that once the ark touches the raging, flooded current of the Jordan, of our flesh, the ark being to us in the new covenant, the Lord Jesus, we're the priest carrying the ark, he lives within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Once it touches the waters of our flesh, the raging current when it's flooded and, and it seems it's hopeless, have, the river has to back up. It has to back off. It has no more power over we finally realizes, realize something. And you must realize it this morning. I, I, I can convince you, but only God can convict you. We are not defined by our circumstances, believers. We are not defined by our circumstance or our environment. We are defined by our choices. And we can choose to let it plague us. Or we can choose to forget by reaching forward and surrendering afresh and finding our identity 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our identity as believers is not of any earthly family. It's of a heavenly family. And we're going home, and this earth is not our home. And once a person finally dawns on him that everything has changed in Christ Jesus, he can live as a victor and no longer have to live as a victim. It involves a choice. It absolutely involves a choice. When I think of the Jordan River, I think of the flesh. And when I think of the flesh, I think of what Paul says in Galatians 5, 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And I want you to know that is an intentional choice. Present, active, imperative. There's not even an option built into this thing. Walk and keep on walking. Talk and keep on walking. An active voice, make up your mind. We sung in a moment ago, for God to do it, God turns right around and says, do it. Make a choice. You're going to live in your identity in Christ? You're going to live in your identity of the past. He says, as you, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And as you continue to walk under the influence of the Spirit of God, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, which is seeking to rob you of everything Christ has given to you. For the flesh, he says in verse 17 of Galatians 5, sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do, and it means continue to do, the things that you please. When our past looms in front of us with its ugly face, we must run back to Christ, not from Him, because that's where the victory is. Sin has no power over us unless we allow it unless we allow it and what a picture we have of this you say Wayne that's all good and, and, and fine but what has it got to do with Joshua oh don't, don't worry I'm not baiting you with anything I'm trying to lead you right in to what we're going to see in scripture today Joshua chapter 5 the generation that crossed over into the land that God had given to them and to their parents was a generation that was a victim the whole generation was a victim of dysfunctional spiritual families. Spiritually dysfunctional families. Now think about it. What a miracle. The parents could not enter there. But the children of a new generation with a leader who said, let's do what God says, walked over in, into what God said was already theirs. One got to experience it, but one generation died in the wilderness. They're crossing the Jordan that their disobedient parents could not begin to enter because God wouldn't allow them because of their disobedience was a very significant event. It's so significant that, that it pales to, I can't find the words. I, they just fade away from me. I can't, I can't make it that significant to you what this was for the nation of Israel. Finally, finally, somebody <laughs> chose to do what God told them to do and they were able to enter what God said was already there. But it's very significant. You know what it did to the enemies in Canaan? It put chills down their back. Man, it was incredible. Look at verse 1, chapter 5. That came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Not only did the miracle of the Jordan River become a memorial to them that was placed there at Gilgal to always remind them if you'll just do what God says, if you'll bow before Him and live yielded to Him, 
you can walk in his, his, his goodness. I mean, everything he's got there for you. It became a memorial to them, but it became a monster to the enemy over in Canaan who opposed God's people. It absolutely melted their heart. It just absolutely melted their heart. It sucked their spirit right out from them. It made them putty in the hands of the Israelites. The Amorites and all the kings of the Canaanites were terrified. Terrified. Isn't it interesting that the fear the world wants to put on us, God turns right around and puts right back on them when we trust him? Well, God was preparing the way for his people to experience all that he had given to them. Again in verse 1, that came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed. And what frightened them was not the Israelites. And what frightened them was not Joshua. But what frightened them was the God of Israel and the God of Joshua. This wasn't about the people. It was about God delivering them. There is no aspect of our flesh that can take from us what God has given to us unless we choose to allow it. So let's get into this. Let's get into this. Once in the land, now the battle is on. Now you say, what kind of battle are you talking about? Man, they've already crossed the Jordan River. What kind of battle are you talking about? Listen, there were enemies in the land that their whole purpose was to keep them from going further into what God said was already theirs. The battle begins. You don't have a spiritual battle when you're living on the other side of the Jordan, wandering around in the wilderness, doing it your way. But I'll tell you what, when you start surrendering to Christ, your flesh will cry out. And it's amazing how the battle begins, the spiritual battle begins, because it wants to keep us from enjoying what God says is already there. So it's time to prepare for battle. Prepare for battle. This new generation is facing something the former generation didn't have to face. And they're about to do war. Now remember, our battle is, is not against flesh and blood. Wouldn't you like to remember that constantly in the Christian community? <laughs> I'm not going to that church because I don't like that church. I'm going to that church down here. I found real fellowship down here. Well, actually, I don't like that very much. I'm going to go over here. It's incredible. We don't war against each other. Man, we're already one in Christ. Why the world? Anybody who's fighting another believer somehow is not walking with God, period. Because he says preserve the unity of the Spirit. You already have it. Preserve it. Don't produce it. Preserve it in the bonds of peace. So our, our, our enemy is, is interesting. It's much more, more difficult than what they faced. Our enemy is intangible. You can't see it. It's a spiritual enemy. We're dealing with principalities and powers. We're dealing with the flesh. We're dealing with stuff that's not external. All of our covenant is internal and eternal. And so everything we deal with is, is, that, is that flavor. So there are three things that I want us to look at in the crossing of the Jordan and what they're doing to prepare for battle that I want us to help us to see how to live as a victor, not as a victim. How do you live that way? How can you somehow move beyond the influence of what the past has dumped on you. Three things. First of all, they had to renew their covenant with God. They had to renew their covenant with God. Where do you see that one? Look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. Now let me explain that to you. Circumcision was the mark of covenant, the covenant people of God. 
It was a cutting away of the flesh on the male organ that passed the seed on from generation to generation to generation. And what it did, on a, it was an external covenant, an external mark. And that external mark identified a people that would obey God. These, we are God's people. We are God's people. And from the, every generation to generation, the flesh has been peeled back. It, it was something that God did. It was given, first of all, as a commandment to Abraham in Genesis 17. Right after God reaffirmed his covenant to Abraham, he says, now I want you circumcised, and I want every male after you circumcised, because I have promised you a land, and I've promised you a seed, and I've promised you a nation, and I want this, this people to be unto myself. So circumcision was an external mark for people under an external covenant. The phrase circumcise again, what does that mean? You can't do that but once. Well, he, he, he refers to the fact that the generation that came out of Egypt had been circumcised. They were God's people. They had seen him work at the Red Sea. But because of their disobedience and because of their unwillingness to leave the legacy that was of God that we looked at last time, because of that, they, they failed to circumcise the males of that generation. So there wasn't anything passed on to that next generation. The seed of that next generation, they, they had not yet been identified like this as God's people. He explains in verses 3 through 5. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised. But all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. You see, God promised, again, God promised Abraham a nation. And that nation was going to be the nation through whom the, 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 the promised seed, Jesus Christ himself, would get his humanity. And to, and to keep it identified as his people. And to, and to continue to the, the heritage on generation to generation, circumcision was that mark on the male of Israel. Well, this external mark identified them as God's people who obeyed him. The land that Israel had entered in chapter 4 of Joshua, God had given to them to dwell trusting him. Nothing nor anyone could take it from them. Nobody. But before they moved any further into that land, before they progressed any further into that which God had given to them, they had to renew their covenant with God by circumcising all the males. This was like they're saying to God, we are your people, we are your people, and we will obey you. We are your people, we will obey you. Unlike our parents, we will obey you. Unlike our parents, we will obey you. You are our covenant God, and we are your covenant people. Now, with the memorial at Gilgal to remind them of God's faithfulness, that they'll do what he says to do, and by the taking upon themselves the mark of the covenant, they were now armed for battle. They, in other words, it's like saying, we're here, and we're not going to leave. This is our land. God has given us this land, and we're going to stay. And the battle is on. The battle is on. But they're identified as God's people. Now, as New Covenant believers, how does that relate to us? 
It's nothing of the flesh that we deal with. That was an external covenant. But in our covenant, how do we renew our covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, when we present our bodies, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. When we come to that place, and it's a fresh place every day, and sometimes over and over again every day, as we're faced with the choices of life. Renew our covenant by saying, yes, Lord, we're your people. We are your people. And we're not going to run from you. We're going to run to you. In surrender, we deal with our flesh. Philippians 3.2 says, beware of the dogs. <laughs> beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Beware of those who say that it's external because they're everywhere. They're the religious folks. But in verse 3, he says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Anything the flesh can do does not prepare us for anything. It's got to be a spiritual thing. For instance, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 19, Circumcision is nothing. <laughs> and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. And so the bottom line of the whole thing is not some external mark. It doesn't it identifies God's way. But what it's really the bottom line is we're going to do what God says to do. And when you come back to yielding to him, you are, in fact, renewing your covenant. You're ready for battle now because it's no longer you. It's Christ in you and through you. So before progressing deeper into what God has, had given Israel, they first had to renew their covenant. And I just wonder this morning, if you're still living with the baggage of your past, are you, you living with the baggage of a family, dysfunctional family, that has somehow stood in your way to keep you from moving on into your real identity for eternity, which is the family of God? Have you, have you done that? Did you ever hear the story about the turkey and the eagle? Now, you know I love to tell this story because it's got turkeys in it. But this little eaglet was born. Oh, this little eaglet was born, and it was, it was so happy to be alive and up high in a nest. And he got to fooling around, and Jonathan, and fell out of the nest. And he gets down on the ground, and he's disoriented, and it hurt. That's a long fall. And he couldn't seem to find where he was. A flock of turkeys came along and said, Hey, we'll take you in. We'll take you in. So that eagle grew up thinking he was a turkey. <laughs> I know a lot of turkeys. Thinking he was a turkey. I mean, turkeys are afraid of everything. Turkeys are always looking around, looking around, looking around, looking around. They're scared of everything. One day some hunters were in the area, and he was full grown by that time. And here he is trying to cluck like a turkey, <laughs> trying to gobble like a turkey, and it didn't come out right. I mean, what was wrong with him? And all of a sudden, a hunter was in the area, and one of them was alerted to it, and the turkeys took off running. Well, to run as, as an eagle with that six-foot wingspan, he had to flap his wings because he couldn't, he couldn't drag them. So he just started flapping them, trying to run. <clears throat> and as he ran, the air got up underneath his wings. And all of a sudden, he was 10 feet off the ground. Whoa, where'd the other turkey? <clears throat> Next, he was 20 feet off the ground. 
Next, he was 100 feet off the ground. And suddenly, it dawned on him, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not a turkey. I'm an eagle. And I can soar on that which the turkeys could never understand. It's kind of their way, isn't it? I hear people all the time, well, you just don't know my history. You don't know what I've been through. You don't, and I don't. I don't, and I don't need, need to know. God knows it. But I want you to understand something this morning as believers. We're a part of an eternal family. And that eternal family is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And whatever is in your past, somehow, when you come back to renewing your covenant, something is going to happen that, that you don't even understand. You begin to find your identity in Christ, not where you've been living under all this time. Look at the next thing. The next thing. See, once they did this, this caused them to be victors instead of victims. And I want to show you this. This is so beautiful. The act of circumcision removed them from their parents' reproach. Now you say, Wayne, it doesn't say that in my Bible. It says the reproach of Egypt. I'll explain that. Just wait a minute. Remember, as believers, now I want to keep saying this, as believers, it's our choices that define us, not our environment, not our circumstances, and not anything of our past. It's, it's our choices. And uh, I'll say it again that if all of us have been victimized. If we could hear the stories that's in this room, it would be a horror story for many, and we could write a book, all of us. But isn't it interesting? God will not allow us to live as victims. He will not allow us. If we're going to enjoy who he is, we don't live as victims because we are victors in Christ Jesus. We have a brand new family and a perfect father. And we are brand new in the kingdom of God. Well, as believers, Christ alone can free us from the reproach of our parents. Once they circumcise the males, renewing their covenant in obedience to God's command to them, that freed them. The sad history of their parents, if you want to know what it is, is in, begins in verse 6. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children whom he raised up in, that, in their place, Joshua, circumcised for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way now when they had finished circumcising all the nation they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed and now watch this in verse 9 then the Lord said to Joshua today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day Gilgal means to roll away the phrase roll away means to take something to, like a heavy weight and take it off of somebody. Somebody that's burdened down. Somebody that just cannot hardly move any further. There's something and take it away from them and to remove it from them. The Septuagint uses the word to take away or to put it away. Put it away. But what does the reproach of Egypt mean? Some would say their captivity to Egypt. How could that be? This generation that that was disallowed to come into Canaan, they didn't, they didn't do something wrong to be in captivity in Egypt. They were born into captivity. That's why, why it's such a picture of our lostness and how the Red Sea is a picture of our salvation in Christ Jesus. No, no, no. You have to think beyond that. So what is he talking about? The word reproach is the word meaning the blame and the shame, the disgrace. You see, their parents, after being freed from their bondage to Egypt, singing the song of Moses, 
didn't take them but three days to get to the bitter waters of Merah, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. In fact, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, and when he met with God, and he didn't come back for quite a while, and if they wouldn't, you know what they did? They built, they got, made a golden calf and started worshiping it at the foot of the mountain. This simply indicated the rebelliousness of their hearts, and the rest was history as they continued to walk rebellious towards God. But the second generation, the second generation had to live growing up in the shame and the blame of their parents. There's a song, Lord, take, you took me out of Egypt. Now, Lord, take Egypt out of me. Never got out of his parents, their parents. But, oh, I love this generation. The wonderful thing is that this generation led by Joshua refused to be defined by their parents. They refused it. They're not going to live that way anymore following Joshua. And they chose to be defined by choosing to obey God. And once they obeyed God, having renewed their covenant with Him and coming to that full place of identity in Him and surrender to Him, all the shame and all the blame was gone. It's a brand new day for the new generation in Egypt. They had broken out of that by simply obeying God. They renewed their covenant, were free from their past. They no longer were identified with who their parents were. They're identified externally and obediently to the people of God. I guess the question would be, this gets pretty personal, doesn't it? Are you walking in God's will today or are you free from your burden of sin? I, that's a good song, isn't it? Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, if we could get this message out. If every year, I've been doing a camp for years. Jonathan's at the camp right now. 32 years I've been doing this camp. We have about 500 kids up at Bryan College. We've never advertised it. It's been by word of mouth. People call us, say, what's the camp about? We say, we're fluff intolerant. <laughs> we don't tell them we have a lot of fun. We have a blast. We went to whole Okoe River on Thursday, and the 400 and some kids wrapped the Okoe River. We don't tell them that. We tell them we're here because we, we want to help young people identify with who they are in Christ. And we want to help young people learn that it's Jesus being Jesus in them. We want to help young people learn they don't have to live in the identity of their past, their friends, or wherever. They can live in their new identity in Christ. By the way, pray for me this week. I think it's the most critical conference we've done with these kids, being in light of the situation that's in our world today. So are you walking in God's will this morning? Are you walking in God's will? Well, Wayne, I know all the things to do, and I know all the things you say, but it doesn't work. Really? Well, well, check it out and see if God said it. Now, if Wayne said it, it won't work. But if God said it, you better believe it'll work. So there's a problem here. It's not with God. So where's the problem? Are we living this way or are we living this way? Have we reached forward? Have we freshly surrendered? Have we rediscovered our identity in Christ, not in our past? Well, your identity is in Christ and Christ alone now. Well, in verse 10, to celebrate their freedom, you know what they did? They held the Passover. What a picture. What a picture. This is, it says in verse 10, it's the third time the Passover had before they left and then a year later when they got into the wilderness and then now. Verse 10, 
while the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plain of Jericho. You know what the Passover is? That celebrates the victory over the death angel that came in that night. Victory over death. What's a picture? What a picture of Christ. And they, they had to take the lamb and, sac and sacrifice and burn it. They actually roasted it. And the flesh of the lamb satisfied them. And the blood of the lamb that was put over the doorpost protected them. Remember Jesus said, if you come to me, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And Paul says, Jesus is our Passover. And the unleavened cakes that were there, getting the sin out of their life, is a picture of removing sin. Then they went into the Feast of the Unleavened Bread for eight days and, and get all the leaven out of the, out of the whole thing about, about how to live that way because of the blood of Christ. And look what God did. Once they circumcised themselves, once they took the Passover and the reproach of Egypt, that really the reproach of their parents and their love for Egypt was removed, then they began to partake of the land in which they were in. Isn't that incredible? No longer did God put the manna out. It says in verse 11, on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during the year. Wow! They got to partake of the land that was theirs. I wonder how many partakers we have of the life that Christ has given to us this morning. You say, well, Wayne, I really do feel it when I'm at church. But I'll tell you one thing. I get in my car and drive home, and it is gone. Really? Where'd it go? If you ever feel like God's, somebody, God's, somebody's moved, just ask who, who it is, because he said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. You return to where you depart. That's the bottom line. And we can live as victims if we want to choose to do that. That's our choice. But I'm telling you what, it's going to cost you enjoying the fruit of the land that God has already prepared for you. You know who I think about when I think about this? I think about old Robbie Gallatin. I'll tell you what, if you ever get mad at me and leave, go, at least go to hear Robbie. I love that guy. I absolutely love him. We meet together periodically. I just love him. I love him. And I love his testimony, what he came out of. When I look at him today, I'm thinking, Woohoo! here's an old boy that says, I'm not going to live in that identity anymore. I'm going to live in this identity over here precious testimony that he, he has. I think of, of Chuck Colson, who's now gone on to be with the Lord. And they say he was one of the most ruthless and meanest politicians you could find. And he messed up big time. And everybody knows about him messed up. <laughs> God met him, changed his life, and has one of the greatest, had one of the greatest, still has, even though he's gone. Prison ministries known. I went under that ministry and went to, to the maximum security prison over in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and that is a scary place. And I remember going in and spending six hours that day, and they'd come in with chains on their feet and chains on their hands. These are maximum security people. And because of the Chuck Colson Ministries, we were able to get into there. We had a guy in the church that was a real good friend of Chuck Colson. But just to think of the testimony. And those guys would come in, and, man, you talk about the hunger for the Word. I told them one day, I said, you know what? Y'all are better off than most people that aren't in here. And they said, what do you mean? I said, particularly believers, 
Because believers come to church every Sunday in bondage and won't admit it. At least you know where you are and you know what you can't do. Let's get that out of the way. Now let's talk about what Christ can do in your life. Well, they listen. They listen. I think of Andre Broom. We mentioned him several messages back. And he stood there and a the guy put a gun to his head. And he said, go on. And the lady said, no, he put the gun to a lady's head. He was a crook. And, put, and I said, I'll blow you away. And she said, sudden death, sudden glory. <laughs> he got to shake it. And he didn't know how to handle that. Took off running. God met him, changed him, goes all over the country now sharing his testimony. I'm not living this way anymore. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm going to walk in my identity in Christ. I don't, I, I don't want it to be head knowledge until I get to there. I want to live in it every day. Paul said, I want to experience the power of Jesus in my life. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just preach it. I want to live in it. I want to experience it. And there are many people who will walk out of services every Sunday. Say, that was nice. But he just doesn't understand my situation. Lori Borland, down in Florida, her husband Tim, been friends for years, died this past year, in his 50s. Just boom, gone. And Lori heads up a team that goes into those prisons and teaches men precept Bible studies and how to study Scripture while they're in prison. I've gotten several letters from them. They even use my tape. Can you believe that? With the old goggles and the bell-bottom pants. I guess I'm just bringing this up to say, where are you this morning? Yeah, everybody, every one of us clean up good, don't we? We clean up good. And we look good when we walk in here. What's the bondage that's holding on to you that's hindering you from going on into what you know in your head's true, but you can't connect A and B? Have you found your identity in Christ this morning? Have you found it? By the way, he gives you grace to change you. He'll give you mercy to bear up under the consequences of whatever it is your choices or life has brought to you. He'll give you the mercy to bear up under it. Thirdly, you know what happens now? And I love this. I can't go any further. Ah, I got to hurry. I love this, though. Don't look at your watch. I did it. That was a mistake. Okay. Thirdly, what happens now? They renew their covenant. Now, after they renew their covenant, God removes the reproach of their parents from them. And now, thirdly, their captain is revealed. I love that. When does he show up? Now it's when he shows up. It's all about God, not us. Verse 13 now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Now you have to, we'll get into the story much more next week, but Joshua had gone up to see what he was facing at Jericho, which was the biggest obstacle that was in front of them. You didn't go any further until you dealt with Jericho. So here, he's, he, he's been there 40 years before, but he hadn't seen it in 40 years. And man, he sees an impregnable city. There's no possible way a human being can get through that. And then he's visited by God himself. This is Christ in the Old Testament. This is a theophany. Contrary to what the Mormons teach, that he was a man and grew up to be a God, that's ridiculous. He's always been. He always has been, always will be. He is God, period. And here he is in the Old Testament showing up. The divine captain has his sword raised. And when Joshua said, are you on their side or our side? He doesn't answer him. He just simply says, no. I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. Now, boy, get your shoes off. Verse 13, it came about when Joshua was, up, was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? And then he says in verse 14, no, 
Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the Lord, of the host of the Lord. And now I want you to see the fellowship of Joshua. This is what made him a great leader. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? He was ready to hear whatever God has to say to him. What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, I love, again, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Take off your sandals, boy. Take them off. I'm about to tell you something that you couldn't grasp in your human brain. I'm going to tell you how I'm going to take those walls down. I'm going to tell you how, but it's not going to be what you reason out in a committee meeting. It's going to be you're taking your shoes off and trusting me and me alone. There's no question who's in charge here. There's no question. As we to seek to possess the life that God has given to us in Christ, we've got to understand that he and he alone calls the shots, period. He calls the shots. The moment we think that we can handle anything by, by the abilities of our flesh is the moment we fail. He lives in us as our divine source and our divine warrior. You know, it's interesting, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, it tells us to put on the new man. And the new man, of course, is, is Christ in us. It tells us to put him on. And it's in the middle voice, which means you really can't. God's got to enable you to do it, but you've got to choose to do it. And then he says in verse 16 that he would grant you, and he tells you how, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, which is really the key, and that you being rooted and grounded in love and on and on and on. So it's by faith that you put on the new man. Now, remember your covenant. In chapter 6 and verse 10 of Ephesians, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on, same words, the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, here's what I want you to see. The garment of chapter 4, Christ in us, as we let Christ dwell in our hearts by faith, the garment of chapter 4 is the armor of chapter 6. It's not something else you do. It's, it, he's, it's an armored garment. He's the one who fights our battles. You say, Wayne, I don't believe that. Really? Well, in Isaiah 59, verse 17, it prophesies of Jesus. And listen to the words. He put on a breastplate. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. Just, just like it says there. And a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. The Lord Jesus who saved us, who gives us life, he's our warrior. I don't have to fight the battles. He fights them for me. And that's what he's doing for Israel right here. I'm ready to lead you in the battle. Our captain will be revealed when we renew our covenant and when we are released from the reproach of our parents and our past. And then we are ready to say, I'm ready. I'm here, Lord. I'm here. You speak, and I'll listen. And he steps into the picture. Just like he said to the disciples, I will come to you, and I will make myself real to you. I'll, make my, I'll disclose myself to you. And we're never getting the same. We're never getting the same. How do you fight your battles? You don't. You let the warrior that lives within you fight them as you learn to surrender to him and let him be solely in command and just simply do what he tells you to do. And the enemy begins to fear because that's that river that has to back up. It, it has no authority over Jesus Christ. So I go back to my statement a while ago. Would you be free today from whatever it is that's held you in bondage for years? 
continues to repeat itself in a cycle. You go through seasons of thinking you're doing all right, and all of a sudden it drags you right back under one more time. Have you shut the door on the reproach of your past? Well, just bow your heads and stand with me if you would. Then first, <laughs> then bow your head. And then just draw that circle around yourself and listen to the words of this song. And can it be said of you this morning? The altar's open if you want to come and pray. Nobody's going to bother you. Just draw that circle around yourself because nobody's here, just you and the Lord. Have you closed the door on the past by renewing afresh your identity in Christ? Are you allowing Him to now be your Lord and Master? Are you identifying yourself with His people and realize your family is eternal? Just listen. Just listen to the words. You do what God tells you to do. Come on down. We've got Larry's down here. Come on down if you need to make a decision. But especially altars open if you need to pray this morning. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.